Father, thank you for your grace, for your mercy and your love. Thank you for Jesus Christ coming to this earth for us. And because he came, we can live with you forever and ever. Father, I pray that you would bring comfort and strength to the Neal family today and to other families who may be hurting or struggling. We lift them to you. And Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning with clarity of voice, clarity of mind, and most of all, by the anointing power of your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word and to apply it to our lives. May we be changed by the Holy Spirit and by the truth of God's word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Question. How many of you have ever been homesick? Okay. Just got back. Some of our people did from a mission trip. See a couple there. If they got the green t-shirts on, most were in the first service. But it's easy when you're away on a mission trip. They went to Colorado to miss family, to miss home, to get homesick. The week before that, there was a youth camp, and you're away from family, and you could get homesick. The week before that was children's camp, and how many of you know children who've ever gotten homesick when they're away from their parents, okay? Homesick. How many of you have ever gotten homesick? Maybe you went away to college, or you moved to a different state, and you're away from family for the first time, or maybe you were in the military, and you got deployed, and you were gone for like a year, and you were missing family, and you were missing home, and you got homesick. Well, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see a man by the name of Paul, and Paul is apparently a little bit homesick for heaven. Let's look at that together. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not made with human hands. Listen, heaven is going to be truly incredible. No more suffering, no more sorrow, no more separation, no more aches and pains, no more issues, no more struggles, no more angst, no more problems. Heaven will be perfect. Verse 2. Meanwhile, while living in this tent, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. The Apostle Paul is not presenting some morbid view of life, but rather this intense longing to be with Christ. Some of you senior adults, when your body is getting weak and every day you live with physical pain, and you've got more loved ones up there than you do down here, you begin to understand. You feel like, I'd like to be someday... Maybe soon with God, with Jesus, 
in heaven. My mom had a major stroke nearly two years ago. She's paralyzed on her entire left side. She can't even get out of bed. And she has really no quality of life. But she says this on a regular basis. She's a very dedicated Christian. She says, Lord, I'm ready for your chariot to come get me. Some of you may feel that way today. Lord, I'm ready for you to come get me or come get all of us together so we can be with you in heaven. Some of you understand that. My mom had five brothers. They've all passed on and gone before her. Some of you have a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad or maybe even a child who's gone on before you and you can't wait to see them again. And to be with Jesus in this perfect place called heaven. I got a phone call this morning about 7.20 from Miss Jan Neal. You know her husband Doug has been sick for quite a while. He went to be with Jesus today. There's a part of Jan who is probably longing more for heaven than ever before. Some of you can understand and even Getting older has its challenges, does it not? With aches and pains and issues and problems and sometimes forgetfulness. Have I got any forgetful people in the room today? I heard about a senior adult couple that was on a trip. And they stopped at a restaurant to get some food. And when they left the restaurant, they went about 20 miles down the road. And the senior adult wife says to her husband, Honey, I hate to tell you this, but I left my glasses back at the restaurant. we got to go back and get them. These are like $300 prescription glasses. They've already gone 20 miles away from the restaurant. They're on the interstate, so that means you got to go another 10 or 15 miles before you can turn around. Unless you want to break the law. How many lawbreakers have I got in the room? You just cut through the median, okay? Anyway, they drive another 10 miles away from the place. Then they have to go 30 miles all the way back to the restaurant. And he is fussing. He is griping. He is complaining the entire trip. How can you be so forgetful? Why can't you not remember anything? Come on, think, lady. Remember stuff. They pull into the restaurant. She gets out of the car, embarrassed as she is, starts walking toward the front door, and then it dawns on the old gentleman. He rolls down his window and said, Honey, when you get in there, can you get my wallet and my credit card? Sometimes we can be forgetful. It's not just senior adults who have challenges with aging. Have you ever noticed when you hit about 45 years old, things start getting printed smaller than it used to be printed. 
and you squint and you try and you look and uh, after a while you got to get some glasses. I started out with some bifocals many years ago. I hated them. I could see fine from a distance but not well up close. Tried that for a little while. And then I tried these little cheap glasses. They're called cheaters. Anybody have any of those? And, and, and you, you got them at Walmart for $10. I'd get them at the dollar store for a dollar. But I was constantly losing the things. You know what I mean? So you know what I did? I'd buy like five, six, seven pairs. Some of you can relate. And I'd put them everywhere. In the bedroom. In the kitchen, in the office, in the car. And occasionally, I'd be searching for my glasses. And I think this happened to me at least a time or two. And maybe it's happened to you. You know where they were? On my head, right? I'm not the only one who's forgetful in the room, I guess. But I've been forgetful since I was 12, I keep telling my wife, Monique, I'm getting better, but she doesn't believe that, okay? Well, the Apostle Paul's not yet an old man, probably. Yet as he was maybe 45, 50 years old when he writes this letter, he would probably live another 10 years before he was martyred for the faith. But his physical body has gone through more than probably all of us put together. Think about it. He was beaten five times with whips, with 39 lashes each time. Beaten three times with rods. He was stoned. He was hit with these huge rocks over and over and over and over again until they thought they killed him. They left him for dead. He was in and out and in and out of prison. And on top of all the physical suffering that he encountered from other people, he also had what he calls a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. Some say it was a painful eye condition. We really don't know. But it was so painful, Paul asked the Lord three times to take it away, but God did not. Paul knew his chair. Of suffering. And on top of that, he has this relationship with Jesus like nobody else does. Maybe Peter does, probably John, but it's a really short list of people who knew and loved Jesus and longed to be with him like Paul. So Paul longs to be with the Lord, and here in verse 4 he says, One day, What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Isn't that an interesting way to look at death? One day, our lives on this earth will be swallowed up by a greater life. In ancient times, death was seen as the great swallower of life. But Paul reverses the image here. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says some of the things... Some of the same things in a little different way. Starting verse 53, he says, that the perishable must put on, must clothe itself with the imperishable. 
and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that has been written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Isn't that a great way to look at it? Death is not the ultimate victor. Life is the victor because Christ is the victor. And the new body you will receive in heaven is not some pale shadow of the one that you have now. No, the resurrection body is the fulfillment of God's plan. Verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Paul continues. Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? There's that word victory again. One day, you're going to know victory. Ultimate victory, if your faith is in Jesus. But you don't have to wait until you get to heaven to know victory. 1 Corinthians 15 continues in verse 58. Paul says, Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor is not in vain. Check out the victory. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. Check out the victory. 1 John 5, 4 says, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Pay attention to the victory. Romans 8, 37 says, You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ your Lord. Notice the victory. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, in God's timing, you'll reap a harvest. If you faint not, if you don't give up, if you don't quit, you will know the victory. I am so thankful this morning for our senior adults. I love you guys. Thank you so much for continuing to follow Jesus Christ through all the ups and downs and the aches and the pains and the issues and the problems and struggles of this life. Because life is full of them. It would be easy to say, I'm tired. It'd be easy to say, let's let the young people take over. It'd be easy to say, I don't know if I really want to show up for church anymore. I could just stay home and watch on TV. But you continue to be faithful to serve your Lord, and I applaud you for that today. I'm also thankful for our young families. It would be so easy for you young families to say, I got way too much to do to be in church this morning. I got way too many things going on to be involved in the church or to follow Jesus Christ. I just can't do it. I got ball games, I got school, I got committee meetings, I've got PTA, I've got this, I've got that, I've got all this stuff going on, and I just don't have time. But I thank God, did you say, I'm going to keep on trusting and following Jesus Christ and being plugged in and serving, because that's 
what I'm called to do. Vacation Bible school is going to be amazing. And I hope that if you're not able to be here and serve, that you will pray that God is going to do an incredible work in Vacation Bible School starting about a week from now because I believe it's going to be the greatest Vacation Bible School that we have ever had. Some of you went on mission to Colorado last week. And God used you to touch lives in ways that will impact people for eternity. But we don't have to go to Colorado to impact people for eternity. Did you know that? We can do that right here. Moment by moment and day by day as an instrument, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Christ, letting him use you for his glory. Go to verse 5. Now it's God who made us for this very purpose. Think about it. God made us. God made you for the very purpose of spending eternity with him forever. Isn't that incredible? God wants to spend eternity with you. Say to your neighbor, God wants to spend eternity with you. Think about it. Some of you got family members you can't stand for more than 15 minutes. You dread going to the family reunion because you know he's going to be there. She's going to be there. They're going to be there, and I just don't want to go. Think about it. Compared to the perfection of Jesus Christ, we're all pretty dysfunctional, are we not? Yet the Bible says that God loved you so much, he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die for you on a cross so that you could spend eternity with him forever. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? He wants... Spend eternity with you. Now he's going to clean you up some before you get there, hopefully. And when you get there, you're going to have a new body and you're going to be different and all that. But God saw you there in your sin. He says, I love you. I'll die for you. I'll send my Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Isn't that incredible? It's amazing. Verse 5 continues to say that God has given us a spirit as a pledge, a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit in us is kind of like an engagement ring. How many of you remember when you got engaged? Guys, this would be a good time to raise your hand, okay? It was amazing, right? You were so romantic. You made Hallmark movie producers feel ashamed because of how you did it. I got a confession to make my wife's watching on Facebook Live. I got to be honest. I'm not very romantic. I've just never been real good at it. I remember my first date with my wife, Monique. I'm 37 years old, never been married before. Maybe there's a reason. And we went on our first date to a funeral together with her mother. She's in the back seat. Her mom and I are in the front seat, chaperoning, I guess. After the funeral was over, 
we went back to her mom's house. And she made hamburgers. And I rented a movie for 53 cents. Angels in the Outfield. You ever heard of it? I guess Monique thought it's got to go better from here, okay? I had these grandiose ideas about how I might propose to my wife to be one day. I thought about skydiving out of an airplane, landing on the middle of a football field, getting down on one knee and proposing and say, would you marry me? She said, I'm glad you didn't do that. I had this plan to take her to the Fox Theater in St. Louis. It's a really cool place and take her out to this really nice dinner and all that. That's not how it happened. She was sick at home with a horrible stomach ache. I won't go into the details. I got down on one knee and proposed, and she said yes, and that was it. But we were engaged, which meant one day we would get married. All of your engagement stories may be different from mine and from one another's. And you're receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord might be a little different than than others in the room. But if you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And He is a promise that one day you're going to be with Him forever in heaven as part of the bride of Christ. Go to verse 6. Therefore, We are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Bible teacher Warren Wearsby says, the believer can be found in one of two places, in heaven or on earth. There's no intermediate state. As soon as you die, you go to be with Jesus. Verse 7 says, we live on this earth right here and right now by faith. Not by sight. At least we should. Trusting in God. In the good, in the bad, in the easy, in the hard. When the circumstances make sense and when they absolutely do not, you continue to trust and you continue to hope and you continue to believe in and follow your God. At least we should. Question, how do you live? Romans or Hebrews 10.38 says the just shall live by faith. How do you live? Hebrews 11.6 says without faith, it's impossible to please God. How do you live? 1 John 5.4 says faith is the victory that overcomes the world. How do you live? Ephesians 2.8 says we're saved by grace through faith. How do you live? 1 Peter 1.7 tells us that tested, genuine faith is more valuable than pure gold. How do you live? If you can believe the TV ads, which I'm not sure you can, but if you can believe the TV ads, the price of gold is going up. But it will never surpass the worth of our faith. One day, our faith would become sight when we go to be with our Lord. But in the meantime, we continue to live by, to walk by faith. Verse 8. We are confident, I say, and would prefer 
to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul says that would be my preference, to be away from this physical body with all of its aches and pains and to be with the Lord. And if we could really get a good glimpse of what heaven is like, we'd probably prefer it too. Think about it. No more aches and pains in heaven. How many of you have aches and pains? No more issues. No more problems. No more struggles. No more handicaps. No more angst. No more frustration. All will be perfect there. It's going to be so incredible. Verse 9. Paul says, so we make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Paul says in essence, here is my goal in life. My goal in life is to please God. Question. What's your goal in life? Is it to make a lot of money? Is it to retire at age 50? Is it to be the most popular person in Hardin County? Is it to live in a million-dollar house, have a great retirement, look really good? Is it to have the latest cell phone? What is your goal in life? There's nothing wrong with most of those goals, but they ought not be our highest priority. Our highest priority ought to be to know and to love and to follow, and to glorify, and to please Jesus Christ, and one day hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? That's our goal. That's what we want to do. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul is writing to Christians here, and he says, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not a judgment for the world. This is a judgment for Christians. Paul says we here. He's not talking about the non-Christian. He's talking about us. Verse 10 continues. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Listen, you cannot... Work your way to heaven by doing good deeds. You can't go to church enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't be kind enough or thoughtful enough or sweet enough or gracious enough. You can't do enough to make yourself right with God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have sinned against God. Some of you enjoyed that a little more than you should have. We've all blown it. Every single person other than Jesus Christ who ever walked the face of this planet has sinned, okay? The Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. Not me, not you, not anybody else. And the Bible says the wages, the payment for our sin is separation from God one day in a place called hell, okay? That's the bad news. But the good news is this. The gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the question. Have you received the gift of God? Have you, by God's grace, turned from your sin, placed your faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for you, rose from the dead? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you given your life to him? If not, why not do that today? Because none of us knows how much longer we're going to live. And heaven is going to be totally, indescribably amazing. And hell is going to be worse than the worst day you've ever had in your entire life. Why would you not want to know that you know Jesus Christ? Nail it down. If you have questions, I'll be glad to talk with you right after the service is over, okay? But don't leave here without knowing that you know Jesus. It's the most important thing you can know. With that said, though, you can't earn your salvation, but how you live your life will affect your reward in heaven. To paraphrase John MacArthur, the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is to examine a Christian's total life. Not every Christian receives the same reward. 1 Corinthians 3.15 says some will be saved as though passing through the fire. If I got any people that work with the fire department here, see Everett over here, it's like their house caught on fire, they escaped, but everything in the house got burned to the ground. So the idea here is, yes, you'll go to heaven, but... The rewards that you could have, they got burned up in the fire. You're going to make it because you genuinely placed your faith in Jesus. However, your eternal reward is not nearly what it could have been or should have been because you did not follow Jesus with every fiber of your being or you kind of coasted in the Christian life. Maybe you went to church when it was convenient. Maybe you read the Bible When you had a problem, you looked up a verse. Maybe on a good day, you asked the blessing before dinner or before you went to bed at night. But Jesus was not really the center of your thoughts and your words and your life. Or maybe you worked really hard in church. You never missed a Sunday. You even volunteered to work in vacation Bible school. And you didn't want to do it. But you griped and you complained the entire time. No reward for that. But here's the good news. The Bible says that we can all have this amazing reward if we depend upon and follow Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.3 begins like this. God's divine power has given you everything you need. Say everything with me. Everything you need for life and for godliness. That's God speaking to you, okay? Everything you need for life and godliness, okay? Everything you have. Everything you need to get up and go to work tomorrow. Everything that you need to go back to school in another month. Everything that you need to work in vacation Bible school, even though you really don't want to do it. Everything you need to be kind to people who are not kind to you. Everything you need for life. 
and for godliness, God gives that to you, okay? It's through his power by trusting in him. He continues in verse 5 to say this. Make every effort. Say every effort with me. Every effort. Okay? We're not just coasting here. We're making every effort. And he says this. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. Then he says this. For if you possess these qualities... In increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then he says this. Make your calling an election sure. Nail it down. Follow Jesus with all of your heart, and you will not ultimately stumble and fall. And then he says this. 2 Peter 1.11. I'm finally getting here. You will receive. A rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's calling you to live with him forever and ever and ever. And he says, I don't want you just to live with me forever and ever. I want you to know the fullness of everything that you can experience in heaven. He's calling you, okay? To experience that to the fullest. How many of you want to live life to the fullest? Okay? That's a good thing, even down here. But heaven is going to be so much more amazing. I do this fairly often, but I want you to do it with me again. Take your finger like this and go. Ready? That's three lifetimes right there compared to eternity. Think about it. The length of eternity is so much longer than this life that your life on this earth is less than a snap of the finger in length. It may not feel like it, it certainly isn't, but compared to eternity, it is. You might live to be 100. Anybody here in 100? I'm seeing a couple who look like they might be close. I'm kidding. All right, I'd say who. If you live to be 100 years old, compared to a trillion times, a trillion times, a trillion times infinity, that's not very long, is it? But too often, we live our lives for the, rather than for eternity. I encourage you, live your life eternity in mind. The Bible says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And I want you to experience everything God has for you in eternity. That doesn't mean you can't have a great life down here. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly right here and right now. Everybody smile at me for just a minute. Got a couple of yawns and a few smiles. Guess what? God wants you to have a life that's full with his joy, with his power for living. But ultimately, the real goal 
The greatest blessing is being with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and experiencing heaven. It's going to be greater than we can ever experience and knowing the fullest reward that we can have and impacting people with the love of Jesus Christ all along the way. Sharing God's love, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. That's why we go to Colorado on mission. That's why we do vacation Bible school. That's why we do youth camp and children's camp and all the things that our people have been doing this summer because we want to honor Jesus Christ. We want to make a difference in people's lives. And one day, my prayer is you'll hear Jesus Christ say, Well done good and faithful servant. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us that we might have life with you forever and ever.